And then if you would turn to the epistle of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi in chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And if you want a little homework for this afternoon, take the question, the title of this subject, what are you thinking, and ask it of all the characters uh, in that story. So what were the children of Israel thinking? What was Moses thinking? And the thoughts of their minds, the patterns of their thinking, is what shaped the outcomes of that most remarkable story. And so we ask today, what are you thinking? And I ask myself, what am I thinking? And I'm sure that you've been the subject of that question, likely many times. And I suppose every married man has been, because we're known to go into our little nothing boxes where we claim to not be thinking anything, just be in that dead zone. And it's as, you know, the famous comedian says, it's the space that drives women crazy. And so they look at you and say, what are you thinking? And the answer, nothing, (laughs) nothing. And sometimes that's actually true. Tragically, sometimes that's actually true. This morning, right now. Just just pause for a moment. Let's have just a moment of silence, and I want you to ask yourself the question, what am I thinking? What are you thinking? Philippians chapter 4, let's begin reading at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Lord, we ask that you would help us to think about what we're thinking in ways that sets us free from anxiety in ways that fills our hearts with hope and believing in you. And that your peace would guard our hearts. We pray through Christ. Amen. This question can be framed in different ways, with emphasis on any of the individual words. What 
are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? And what are you thinking? And we want to have all of those implications in this conversation. You know, so much of our thinking, so much of our mental activity is subconscious for us. So that when we're confronted with the question about what we're actually thinking, it's really hard to think about what we're thinking. And there has been a huge amount of research done in the last 10, 15, 20 years on the brain, specifically the field of neuroscience. And the business world right now is all wrapped up in neuroscience. And it's a very, very important part of understanding how we function as humans. It's a very important part of understanding why some people flourish and some people don't flourish. And a significant part of that aspect of human flourishing has to do with the type of thoughts that orient us day in and day out. The way we think about life. You know, one of the books of 70 years ago that's making a big comeback is one by a guy named Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. I'm not necessarily going to suggest you go read it, but he's on to something. He's on to something. Your mindset has a significant impact on the quality of life that you live. So how should we think? Jesus says that our thoughts flow from our hearts. That's something to think about. The wisdom writer says in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So your, your posture, your attitude, the way your mind is processing things shapes who you become and who you are and how you live in the world. Neuroscientists today tell us what some early Christians from the 700s had also said, and that is, give me a child to your seven, and I'll give you the man. So, you that are adults, you have this little story you tell yourself about who you are, what kind of person you are, and whether or not you're a successful, pleasant, delightful person. You have this little narrative running through your head. And it runs there just below the conscious. And every once in a while, it pops up. That has been pretty consistent for you since the time you're seven years old. And honestly, for most of it, it's not true. So when Paul, writing to the Roman church, says, you need to have a renewed mind, and that some of the most significant human transformation... Christian transformation 
or what we would, should honestly just call Christian maturity, growing up, occurs through the renewing of our minds. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that this is not a task for the faint-hearted. It's not a task for the lazy. Uh, it's not something that just kind of happens. The renewing of the mind, thinking on these things that the Apostle Paul talks about, uh, is an arduous task. And so the famous British author, G.K. Chesterton, and I'll quote him later in this, actually I'll do it right now. He says, there is a kind of work which many a man can do. Actually, I'm sorry, I misquoted it. There is a kind of work which any man can do, but from which many men shrink. Generally, because it is very hard work. Sometimes they fear it will lead them whither they do not wish to go. It is called thinking. And I would just, just pause to ask you, how often have you found your mind going somewhere and you suddenly began to see that if you followed that thought to its logical conclusion, something's going to have to change? And so what do we do? Typically, many of us say, well, not going there. Just won't go there. That's what he's talking about. Most of us don't hunger to grow up. We kind of prefer the little comfortable, familiar, seven-year-old narratives flowing through our heads. Even though there are things like more, better, faster. You're worthless. You're never going to measure up. You're such an idiot. Your sister's not like that. Or on and on and on. How do we begin to think about our thoughts? How do we navigate the fallen tendency of, again, what Paul says in Romans, our conflicting thoughts alternately accusing and excusing? One moment, we're beating up on ourselves. The next moment, we're excusing stuff that we ought to be confessing. And the stuff's going on in our heads all the time. And how do we, as Paul told the Corinthians, take every thought captive to obey Christ? It's not a task for the faint of heart. I want to give you just a quick context for this specific command to think on these things. And in this passage that we read, there are four commands or four imperatives. The first one is rejoice. And he just says it very explicitly as an imperative. He says, rejoice. And he doesn't wait very long. He says, again, I'm telling you, rejoice. Well, this sounds like, hey, just be happy all the time. You know, only look at the positive things. Be a positive thinker. Always put a positive spin on everything. Well, he actually qualifies the rejoicing. We'll look at that for just a moment. The second commander imperative is in the negative. And it's, it's an exact reverse of this rejoice. 
I'm going to say it again, rejoice. It's the opposite. He says in the negative, do not be anxious about anything. So he says, always rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything. And those are some pretty big categories that he just kind of sweepingly applies in this context. The next imperative is at the end of verse 8, when he says, think about these things. Think. It's a command. Think. And then the fourth imperative comes in verse 9. Practice these things. So rejoice. By the way, I'm going to remind you because it's easy for us to forget. Rejoice. Always rejoice. We'll qualify that. Do not be anxious about anything. Now you just look at that and that say, well, that'd be a pretty decent life. Never worry, never feel anxious, rejoicing. And I'm just curious, is there anybody here who would say, that is the hallmark of my existence? Now, I, I know there are some here who are better than that than others. Okay, I'm not one of the people that's highly skilled at that. It's one of the things I think the Lord has been working hard to teach me. And he hasn't been completely successful yet. And that's my problem. And I'm sure you know of people who do better at this, whose lives are modeled or are, are, are seen more in this context of they're people of rejoicing. And they're not frequently anxious about things. In the Western world, 25% of people, and I think Shannon quoted this number in Sunday school today as well, 25% of people will deal with severe anxiety-induced depression in their lifetime. There are other kinds of depression, but anxiety-induced depression. That's a serious problem in our culture, almost of record proportions to any recent civilization. What does it mean to rejoice? Quickly, I want you to note something here. He says, rejoice, does he say, in your situation? Rejoice in your circumstances? Rejoice about whatever is happening to you? No, there's a very specific line. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Jehovah. Rejoice in God. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in the sovereign one. Again, I'm going to tell you, he says rejoice. There's the key, first of all, and the antidote to this kind of anxiety thought. We say, well, Paul could say uh, to the Philippians to rejoice, but don't we have just cause for anxiety? We live in a world filled with political turbulence and instability. We live with almost unprecedented economic volatility. We're seeing the rapid ethical and moral deterioration in our culture. There's chaos and confusion throughout the Christian church. And then we have all our personal issues, our own sicknesses, our illnesses, our financial woes, our relationship problems. We have all this stuff going on. And you're telling me not to be anxious about that? It's a big problem. But 
You see, Philippians, they had just cause for anxiety as well. Their key leader, their key founder was in prison. His associate was sick to the point of death. There were preachers in Philippi and the surrounding communities who were preaching with the express purpose of stirring up trouble. That's why they were preaching. We read that in the book of Philippians. There were key women in the church who had a public dispute going on. And everybody knew about it. They were living in a pagan, idolatrous, and immoral society. It's to those people in that situation that Paul says, rejoice, don't be anxious. So it seems as though his charge to us might have some validity. We don't have the exception clause we can hang on to. It's to these people that Paul says, rejoice, do not be anxious, think this way, and practice these things. A little bit of a blueprint for life. This concept of rejoicing in the Lord holds to the key belief that Jesus is king. He is the ultimate sovereign. Not everyone in the world today knows that. There are many who will not acknowledge that, that Jesus is the sovereign. He is the king. Some of us who know it and acknowledge it, in the moment we forget about it and fail to remind ourselves that even in this anxiety-inducing circumstance, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. There is none higher than him, and he can be trusted. We don't remind ourselves. And we often think and behave as though somehow we're in charge and responsible for the world. And I can tell you that's rather anxiety-inducing. No cause for anyone to rejoice. But in the Lord, there is always cause to rejoice. Imagine where you'd be without him. Dead in trespasses and sins, aliens, outcasts, under judgment, condemned, without hope. The gospel is always cause for rejoicing. Always. And might say it this way. There is not a single problem we face that resurrection into a newly created world doesn't solve. Okay, think about that for just a moment. There is not a single problem we face in this world that resurrection for you into a newly redeemed world won't solve. There is not a problem you face that resurrection into a newly redeemed world won't solve. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be fixed tomorrow. It just means there's no cause really to be anxious over the long haul. So rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. Rejoice in the one who is resurrected as the first fruit of all those who will be resurrected and assures us there's going to be a new heavens and new earth into which these resurrected Second seeds, harvest, this resurrection harvest will live. That's why martyrs died rejoicing. 
not because they were in bodily torture. No, they believed there was not e- that even that was not a problem, that resurrection into a newly redeemed world uh, wouldn't solve the problem. It would solve the problem. There's adequate reason to rejoice. And so we can say, so don't be anxious about anything. And for many of us, as soon as we begin to be conscious about our thinking, we begin to think about what we're thinking, we find out that a lot of our mental bandwidth is occupied with anxious thoughts about things we cannot control. Almost all anxiety stems around things that are outside of your ability to control them. If you can control them, manage them, you don't worry about them, you do something about it. But you can't guarantee an outcome. And you suddenly know that. In other words, you actually own up to the fact that you are a finite human, you're fickle, and you're going to die. You don't have this. And if you've been in the Ecclesiastes class, you're kind of getting the gist of that. That's just, we're just, we're kind of in trouble. If we're under the sun, and all of our perspective is under the sun, we are wretches. But Paul is not asking us to think about ourselves in ways that ignores that. Let's be honest about that, he says. But there's no reason to be anxious. And anxiety and worry is usually a conversation with ourselves about all the bad things that just might happen and how all the difficult situations we see just on the horizon might impact our safety and well-being. And this might, 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 could, 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 actually, good chance of. And Paul tells the Philippians, I want you to have a conversation But I want you to stop having this conversation with yourself. Because, be honest about it, folks. You've already said there's nothing you can do about it. You can't fix it. You can't manage it. You can't control it. So why are you talking to yourself about it? That's the death spiral of anxiety. He says, listen, just have a conversation with the Lord that you're rejoicing in. Talk to him about it. And he tells us very specifically how to talk to him about the things that make us anxious. He says, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Tell him what the issues are that you can't solve. Have a conversation with this Lord, who's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's going to put together this newly redeemed world. So there is nothing that that solution can't solve. Just go ahead and talk to him about it. Stop that little inner narrative going on. Have this conversation and tell him exactly what your troubles are, what your limitations are, what your problems are that you can't fix. Tell him and tell him what you need. Paul seems to have the idea that God's up to it. He's going to be okay with it. You're not going to distress him. You're not going to make him anxious. So let's just have the conversation. Stop that inside conversation and have an external conversation. Say to God what you see is the problem. 
tell him how he might assist you with it, and that you're pretty much in a pickle unless he fixes it, because you can't. And he'll be okay with that. And then, by the way, rejoice in the Lord, the first fruits of the resurrection. Rejoice in him. It's essentially the gospel. Most commonly, we get into those cycles. We get into those patterns of thinking. And we're not actually conscious of it. And what I find remarkable about this passage, he says, when you stop having the internal conversation, you rejoice in the Lord and you talk to him about those things you can't control. It's like the horsemen of God and his army surround you with his peace. Well, that's quite a different picture than this self-talk, anxiety-inducing self-talk. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The horsemen of God, the army of God, will encircle you, and you'll say, okay, picture Dothan, Elijah, the prophets, Elisha, I guess it was, surrounded by the armies of God. Does he worry about Syria anymore? No. All those things you can't control, you can't manage. Suddenly the horsemen of God are surrounding your heart and your mind. Are you worried about the things you can't control anymore? No. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Okay, what's remarkable is that's the place where you can actually begin to think about what you're thinking. Think in healthy, productive ways about what you're actually thinking about. That's the context, that place of peace. Paul then says, now, whatever is true, and I'm going to give you a very quick summary here. Uh, several Bible scholars point out that these are, this is actually a triplet of doubles. Whatever is just is pure, or whatever is true is honorable, whatever is right and pure, whatever is lovely of good reputation, as in all things that are true are honorable, all things that are right are pure, all things that are lovely are of good repute, good reputation, true things that are revered, righteous things that are pure, lovely things that are of good report. When there is virtue or excellence, and these things are worthy of praise, worthy of being plastered on the news. They're actually worthy of announcement. Think, 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 think about those things. Okay, this is not merely positive thinking. It's beginning to take on the mind of Christ, the way Jesus sees the world. And it's hard to think about how you're thinking until you find yourself surrounded and you're aware that you're surrounded by the guard horses of God. You come to a place of rest and you allow yourself to think about what you're thinking. And Paul says, dwell on these things. 
ponder them. So it's the concept of meditation. Reflect on them. Let them roll through your head. Let them be the narrative that goes through your mind. Keep reckoning with them. Explore them from all angles. Ask hard questions of these things. Ask the probing questions of these things. Begin to explore them in all their multifaceted beauty. And another way of translating it is always take account of them. Most of us are counters of some sort. We track various things. We have these little ledgers we run up in our minds to see if we're measuring up or not measuring up. And if somebody else is getting ahead of us or behind us or how, how we're doing in relation to somebody else. It's not a helpful exercise exactly. Ponder these things. Take account of these things. Think about these things. And honestly, most of us say at that point, man, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm not that fond of that little narrative that keeps running through my head. And we'd love to have this kind of the hard drive wiped clean, a fresh disk inserted, something that just quickly deals with it. I think, I, I think Paul is assuming most of us prefer that. And he's saying, wait, you have to practice your way into that sort of life. You have to practice your way. You have to behave your way into that sort of life. Now, it's rooted in, it's rooted in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because you never get to the place of peace without that. That's honestly, folks, it is the only thing that is worthy of constant, continual, always rejoicing. The only thing, the good news of Jesus and his gospel. There is not a situation, there's not a circumstance, there's not a relationship. There is nothing else in the world that can stand the test of always being a cause for rejoicing other than the Lord and implicit in the Lord, the good news of the gospel. That's pretty much it. So don't take it anywhere else. That somehow through some other form of kind of positive thinking, you're going to whip this. No, it's rooted in the gospel that brings the guardsmen of the army of God around us so we can rest in peace. The peace of God. The peace of God surrounds us. And then we have to embrace the practices that reshape our minds. And Paul says basically four categories. The things you have learned. Okay, and for, for each one of us, it's a little different. Some of us have learned more. Some of us have learned less. But the things you have already learned, take time to remember those. And most of us don't do that until we rest and reflect. And he's saying it's worth thinking about that. Pay attention to what you've already learned. You have learned some brutal lessons in your lifetime. Take time to remember them. Take time to remember them. The things we have received. You have been given many things. Scripture is just one of those. People have given you wisdom. People have told you things. Much has been given to you, and from what has been given to you, much is required. So spend time thinking about what you have received. 
the things you've learned, the things you've received, the things you've heard, and then the things you have observed in people like the Apostle Paul and others who have been disciples of Jesus for many years. When you've seen how those people live, Paul gives us those four things. The things you have learned, the things you have received, the things you have heard, the things that you have seen. He says, in me, and we're going to say by implication, all other saints that are going before us, practice these things. And I'm going to tell you, I think at the very heart of that is rejoicing in the Lord, not being anxious by stopping the internal conversation, having that conversation with God, and paying meditative, reflective attention to the things that are true, good, beautiful, lovely, of good report, being very intentional and disciplined about that. We find in the summary, not only that the peace of God like guards men is around us, but notice the last line, the God of peace will be with you. God himself resides with those people in those spaces. What are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? Has the good news of the gospel permeated your life so thoroughly that it gives you just cause for rejoicing in God? Remember, there really are no problems that resurrection into a newly redeemed world can't solve. Think about that. I'd like for us just to reflectively sing one more time. I'll take your hymn books out, number 696. Take time to be holy. And Douglas, if you would just lead it for us, please. And take time to think carefully about these words.